Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction 615. Science Faction, mysterious mutations, and even more mysterious chickens. Yeah, I think I've I think I've exhausted all like before I'd be I I just would take whatever you said and I'd be like that sounds like an interesting Agatha Christie novel Bobby or or something like yeah. that or uh that that's that's a uh-huh. weird uh name for Sister Act 3 Sister Act 3 Mysterious Mutations and even more mysterious chickens <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe they got Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> Well, so that was more of like, uh, they got, they got like the wish.com version of Whoopi Goldberg. It was spelled like W-O-P-I-I Goldberg (laughs) and is actually an old Jewish lady who has no relation. Yes, that's right. They're pretending to be a nun again. Hey, you're just trying to be Whoopi Goldberg. Who, which one of us seems like they should be named Whoopi Goldberg? (laughs) Really? It's like if you've ever watched 30 Rock, there was a a, a British guy saying, yes. uh, claiming, who, who <laughs> else is Snipes. Wesley Snipes? One other man. I should be Wesley Snipes. Not wrong. I had a comedy roast battle uh, against a comedian by the name of Walter Ford one time. And, uh, and Walter uh-huh. Ford, for our listeners out there, despite him sounding like, like the grandson of the commissioner of baseball or something... <laughs> this guy actually, this uh, this guy is actually like he, he comes from a a, a a black neighborhood in Indiana, you know, like he's a super positive guy, but like he just has the whitest name in the world. And uh, I basically defeated him with one joke. I was uh, it was um, Walter Ford recently won a whitest name in the world competition by beating number two, Chad Privilegington. <laughs> And speaking of the Chad Privilegington of this show, I, of course, am your host, comedian archaeologist, Robert Privilegington. <laughs> and with me, as always, is my comedian, Mr. Damien Always Gets Answers Wrongington. Ha. Huh. That's it's weird that my grandfather, that my great that somewhere in my lineage, <laughs> this name was adopted. Yeah. yeah, it was actually it was a translation from the German uh Das Wrongington. <laughs> I can confirm. <laughs> I speak fluent German. Oh, dear. And for those of you guys who can't get enough of this wrongington, you can go ahead and check out our extra Patreon show every week. Go ahead and look up Robert Timothy on Patreon. You get an extra show every single week, as well as some sweet swag that is, by the way, being mailed out. So if you are on that list, it is in the mail, though may take some time, especially if you are out of the country. But just go ahead and sit tight. That's coming your way. Uh, but for those of you guys who aren't on there yet, go ahead and check that out. You get I Call BS, a whole ev- extra episode every single week. You get a direct line to myself and Damien to answer questions and usually get yourself a nice shirt or sweatshirt in the mix as well. So go ahead and check out Robert Timothy on Patreon. Tons of unsolicited dick pics. Dick pics. I will drop into your DMs at two in the morning. Hey, Patreon, you up? What are you wearing? Yeah, I mean, those aren't necessarily unsolicited because it's actually one of our uh, Patreon levels. It's uh, make Damien a creep level. 
It's that's actually just the one dollar level, and it goes to every other prize on up. It doesn't even cover gas, frankly. I mean, with all the creeping you must do, this is, the fuel bill alone will will be more than that one dollar. You really get your money's worth. <laughs> Only the top level does not have creeping. You say that <laughs> I am creeping, but I'm also a master marketer. Oh dear! Speaking of master marketing, let's move right on to science articles. From molecules to particles, this is Science Articles. And if you're looking for another podcast to check out, check out Awful Neutral. It is my podcast as well, uh, uh, where I have on several of San Diego's funniest people. Uh, Notice how Bobby is not included in this. Uh, We play Dungeons & Dragons, Call of Cthulhu, a game based upon the television series Frasier that we call Hell Frasier. The show is a lot of fun. It is. It appeals to the other half of the nerd community that Bobby does not want to recognize. And uh, we're funnier. There we go. We don't have science dragging us down. Yeah, okay, well, go ahead and take your funniness to a different water fountain because we don't want you here. All right, on to article number one. <laughs> I got nothing. That's, that, was, that, was, that was brutal, and I don't want to be seen responding and associating with somebody who believes in segregation. <laughs> and I don't want to be seen associating with somebody who believes in D&D. Uh, article number one, silent but deadly. You're on the wrong side of history. <laughs> I don't think so. Stranger Things is paving the way for brave people like me. Listen, I, we were starting the articles, but I just want to go back and remind you of the words of the infamous Martin Luther King. I have a dream that there will be no Dungeons & Dragons podcasts in many decades to come. I don't know what a podcast is, nor am I really that familiar with Dungeons & Dragons. I think it's a few years before that. But either way, I proclaim that neither the twain shall meet. Well, Malcolm X was a level 20 wizard. so That was racist, I said Martin Luther King that's... Jr. That is insanely racist of you. And how dare you besmirch the great name of that American hero. Just like you do with Dungeons & Dragons podcasts. All right, let's move right on to article number one, <laughs> Silent But Deadly. You know, J. Edgar Hoover... Not only assassinated many people in the African American uh-huh. community, also in the Dungeons and Dragons community. We are we are two oppressed. You're keys right. He in did good things too. Like I, I get it. He wasn't all bad. <laughs> Us nerds have had their heads shoved in cumulatively more toilets than any other minority on the planet. We have had more wedgies, more books slapped out of our hands as we're going to and from class. And yes, this hasn't personally happened to me because I've always been a big muscular guy who would beat anybody's ass who tried it. So article number one, a startling discovery was made recently that most silent mutations are actually deleterious or harmful. Now, we'll get into what that means, what a silent mutation is, why this is so fucking crazy. Like, this is gigantic news. Again, one of those stories that you're probably not going to hear about in just general media. They're going to cover something else in science news, quote unquote, that has almost nothing to do with anything important. And this is a shocking and incredibly important discovery that you probably have not heard about yet. Aren't silent mutations the mutations that happened between the Great Depression and World War II? Ginsburg was a notable silent <laughs> mutation. No, Damien, you're thinking of the moment of something that we needed in public schools. Mass shootings? <laughs> oh my God, Bobby, are you advocating mass shootings in, in schools? Boo, boo, 
you're hey, the Alex well, Jones Wait, of this you've podcast. You've heard me talk before about how even drunk driving can actually save lives at certain times. Uh, you know, they don't talk about it, but we, we said it on the show before. You know, sometimes a drunk driver will get into a non-fatal crash one mile into a 10-mile drive. That would have resulted just statistically if he was sober in a death just based on mileage driven and stuff. So theoretically, when you do the calculations... Sometimes drunk driving, you actually actually have to subtract some of the drunk driving deaths for the dr- drives drunk driving. Very unlikely, but still does save. Uh-huh. Similarly, of course. some schools should be shot up. Now, I'm not I'm not going to tell you which ones, and I don't think any of the ones that got <laughs> shot up deserve it whatsoever. But like, if you were to imagine a bell curve, and like, if and the bell curve is the distribution of assholes, and like most schools are right there in the middle of that C grade. You know, they have the, just the average number of assholes. But a couple of Z scores over on the edges, there will be some schools where if you just sprayed bullets around, you might be doing a public service. Again, none of the schools that got hit, that's just incredibly unlikely to happen. But some tiny percentage of schools out there wouldn't be a bad thing. Well, they're going to sponsor that, <laughs> but as long as they're gone. So this is an incredibly interesting discovery and incredibly important for how we look at diseases, genetics, mutation, protein synthesis, every fucking everything. This is huge if it ends up holding. So the reason this is shocking, you, before we get into it, you kind of have to understand what a, a silent mutation is. And I'll actually quote the article for this. Point mutations that alter the resulting protein sequence are called non-synonymous mutations, while those that do not alter the protein sequence are called silent or synonymous mutations. So... We know that basically DNA, RNA, it is there to help your body through ribosomal work produce proteins. That's the whole point. Proteins are what do everything in your body. It's what build up your cells. It's what, you know, do actions, everything. Helps you get those sweet gains. Yes, you are a protein factory. That is what your body is. That is what life is, essentially, in in most cases. Uh, Like a protein factory with metabolism. (laughs) Your Honor, I may have ejaculated all over my former (laughs) employer's office. But I'd like the court to understand, I'm a protein factory. (laughs) And we know that mutations uh, of specific genes happen all the time. It's part of the natural meiosis mitosis cycle. We know that that is going to happen. And sometimes those are deleterious, but sometimes they are not. Now, we had always looked at point mutations that don't alter protein sequences, meaning if you change this little uh, A, T, C, or G in the DNA sequence, if you change this, the protein that gets produced from this region is no different. So we looked at that and said, okay, that's non-coding, that's non-modifying, those are essentially silent mutations, it's there, it's junk DNA, it doesn't mean anything. And that is what we've been running on for a long time. The reason that's important is when we do genetic analysis of diseases or something like that, we look at those areas and say, ignore them. Fuck it. We want to look at the coding areas. We don't want to look at these silent areas. It's no issue. They don't do anything. If this paper is right, we have to go back through tons of genetic legacy, tons of genetic history, look at all of the stuff we were assuming was true with previous genetic medical studies and figure out whether or not there were mutations staring us right in the fucking face the whole time because those silent mutations were actually doing something and we hadn't even considered the data. Whenever you say silent mutations, I like picture, I, I, I saw the greatest mutations of my generation corrupted. <laughs> Just some great quote. Of I this. picture Charlie Chaplin doing like a little dance and around him, there's DNA strands just mutating like crazy. But it's only a piano in the background. There is no talking. There is no dialogue. The movie <laughs> itself has no soundtrack. 
<laughs> yeah, I was part of the first movie that had voices in it, as opposed to just piano music and bacteria mutating and DNA mutating in the background. <laughs> if only Watson and Crick had looked at some old 1920s film reels, we could have figured this shit out so much sooner. <laughs> Yeah, if you ever if you ever heard that sloppy moist sound in the background, that's a mutant. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're walking in mud. Oh dear. So we have always just assumed those are neutral or nearly neutral mutations because they're not to what we think of as coding parts of the genome. However, this study looked at that they actually had some indications that maybe some of these things did actually were actually you know doing something and so they did a very very interesting experiment so the experiment itself is in yeast and they used crispr cas and i'm going to quote you from the article they used crispr cas9 genome editing to construct more than 8000 mutant yeast strains each carrying a synonymous non-synonymous or nonsense mutation in one of the 21 genes the researchers targeted they then quantified the fitness of each mutant strain by measuring how quickly it reproduced relative to the non-mutant strain. Darwinian fitness, simply put, refers to the number of offspring an individual has. In this case, measuring the reproductive rates of the yeast strain showed whether the mutations were beneficial, harmful, or neutral. To their surprise, the research found that close to 76% of synonymous mutations were significantly deleterious while 1.3 were significantly beneficial. That is a huge number. Again, we were thinking 90-something percent basically had no effects, nothing. We are now saying 76% do. That is insane, and it upends our understanding of genetics and biology. That's great and all, Bobby, but I want to take a step back. Uh, I made a joke in the last couple minutes, and you responded with, don't tell Watson and Crick. And I want to say, Bobby... Uh, you just had to sneak in a kick. You just had to stomp on Rosalind Franklin's grave before, because I know you know that she was jacked by the gangsters Watson and Crick. Yeah, she did the X-ray crystallography. But again, I said it's too bad they didn't watch the 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 movie because they were the ones who did the conceptual work, so they could have seen the DNA strands in Charlie Chaplin's movies and inferred it without the X-ray crystallography, which was what Rosalind Franklin was contributing. Okay, this was you going back in time, Biff, da Biff Tannen style, trying to help yes. Watson and yes. Crick uh, defeat Rosalind Franklin. What I'm saying is, if Franklin. they would have stumbled across a Charlie Chaplin film reel, like in 1933, we could be decades ahead of the, <laughs> of the biotech revolution. You could have given that same hint to Rosalind Franklin. She was taking the picture. She was doing something. It was important, but it would have been <laughs> subsumed by the Charlie Chaplin video. This is simple science. <laughs> She was not needed in this equation. You either need Rosalind Franklin and Watson and Crick, or you need Charlie Chaplin mysterious video from the 1920s that shows DNA structure and Watson and Crick. I'm sorry, Bobby. As an oppressed D&D &D player, uh, I'm going to oh sympathize with the underdogs like the Rosalind Franklins of this world. I am oppressed for having to hear about the existence of your fucking podcast. Anyway... You know what? I'm taking a knee for the rest of this recording in solidarity. <laughs> That's okay. Roger Goodell says you're being replaced for the next five years. Then he'll give you a chance with the shittiest podcast in the network. <laughs> <laughs> we need to repeat this, obviously. We always say you need uh, conf independent confirmation. We need to see exactly to what extent this works, have it, whether it is true outside of yeast sales, all this kind of stuff. This is crazy and will 
absolutely, if confirmed, change our understanding of how genetics work, how DNA works, how protein synthesis works, what's important for genetic diseases. Uh, just this is so big. If you look at what it means for under the hood of our biomedical establishment, that it is hard to impress upon people what a huge story this is that you're not hearing about from anybody. Under the hood sounds like a more urban, like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles competitor. Oh, I was going to say Mole Man, but yeah. <laughs> All right. On to article number two, we were wrong about the chickens. They're not, in fact, delicious. There are so many things you could be wrong about chickens for. And I was thinking, like, what would the worst? The worst would probably be if some guy was just leaving the house and he's going in the chicken coop and he's like, don't worry, those chickens don't have any knives. And then he came back and he was all bloody and he was like, we were wrong about the chickens. <laughs> As he collapses yeah. <laughs> the doorway. <laughs> et tu, chicken, et tu. <laughs> if it was something about this show, though, uh, if I had to guess, if this was an I call BS question, mm -hmm. um, I would say that, uh, you know, it was that, no, it turns out chicken is not more healthy than beef or better for the environment when... Yeah. Chickens decompose into just pure methane and plutonium. And so you, you have to just keep them alive or don't breed them. Chickens like just decompose into chloral fluorocarbons that we used to put into our AC systems in the 80s. <laughs> yes. To shredding the ozone. Uh, dear. So very, very interesting story. I, I also think this is terribly interesting and you probably haven't heard about it, but let's go through why. So why are chickens so interesting? They're the most common animal on earth. They have traveled the world from their origins in Southeast Asia and they feed a tremendous amount of people. By the way, that world traveling started a long time ago. The Polynesians were taking chickens pretty much everywhere they were going. Before that, you had people bringing chickens into the classical world, et cetera, et cetera. So they, they've traveled a long way. They feed a ton of people. People. We And like I said, I think we believe them to be the most common animal on the planet, which kind of makes sense when you think of how many of them we have just you know, puttering around eating stuff. And until we evolved to dogs, we made chickens fight each other for we sport. Did. And we did. Hardly we did. It's so funny. Is We, we yeah, do. If, well, but I mean, more so is one of the things, and we've talked about this, I think, briefly a long time ago, is that the evidence of early chicken domestication is not for consumption. They did not eat the chickens. We can tell when you eat chickens, their bones are very, they're very fragile, small bones. If you cut up and butcher a chicken, it is completely evident. You can't really hide that. And chickens are not butchered for the first hundred, couple hundred, maybe even thousand years of their domestication. They are kept around, we think, well, you know, there's a lot of different talks about veneration. Is this a religious subject? Is this blah, blah, blah. But cockfighting is certainly one of the reasons they were kept around. We have found cockfighting utensils from... What what part of the Europe? Southeast what Asia culture? and then Europe. Same thing in Europe later on as when they first come into Europe, they're not eaten for right. a very, very long time. They are used for other purposes. Now, I have some ideas that, you know, we look in the archaeological record and we can't always see this. I think they are kept around in a way kind of like cats are kept around because as we're about to find out, they're kind of synonymous with dry rice farming. And we're in place like that, you get a lot of insects. You got a lot of things that can eat your crops and having a chicken walking around, pecking those insects out is very useful, especially because chickens are one of the few animals that can survive completely off the scraps we throw out. And so because of that, if you mix those two things together, it's like having this guard dog. Chickens will make a lot of noise if somebody comes around. That's killing all of the bugs in your garden. And that doesn't really take any additional food because you can just toss them your scraps. So I think they were almost seen kind of the way we see cats almost now. 
Delicious. Now, we have been curious about when chickens became domesticated. Like I said, we know where Southeast Asia, because we know where their native uh, ancestors live, but we didn't know when or how. And some of the evidence suggested a domestication somewhere between seven to 10,000 years ago, which was kind of the chicken story up until last week. And it totally changed. A new paper out suggests that the chicken domestication only happened 3,500 years ago. That's insanely recent versus 10,000 years ago, which would have put them at this. So it's just some wild fighting beast we watched no. before that we didn't no, like. No, there's we... a bunch of interesting stuff in here. So first of all, this is the first study to use like ancient chicken DNA to try and figure out where they came from and where they originated from and when this happened. And it also did a bunch of radiocarbon dates on old previous old chicken sites that had not been properly dated. They had just been dated by associated materials or stratigraphy or something else. They found that the age of 23 of the proposed earliest chicken sites in Western Eurasia and North Northwest your Africa were actually way more recent than we previously thought. They were just misattributed to the wrong time period and the radiocarbon date set them back. And that the oldest bones that were definitely domesticated chicken were found in central Thailand in that time period of 1600 to, to 1250. Very, very interesting. Right now we are saying this thing that we thought was maybe 10,000, 7,000 years old is actually quite recent. And that's really important because it speaks to a bunch of stuff. First of all, the proliferation of the chicken has now just doubled in speed, right? Because it's done this in, in much shorter time than we thought. But it's more than just that because this is such an integral part of the world's culture. We can see when chicken comes to a certain place. Like I said, when we see it come to Europe and other places, it isn't eaten. It's so crazy. They're sitting around. You gotta, you gotta imagine they're hungry, right? They're not eating it. During the Iron Age in Europe, chickens were venerated and generally not regarded as food. The studies showed that several of the earliest chickens are buried alone and unbutchered, and many are also found buried with people. And it's like the males were born with the rooster, were buried with the roosters, and the females were buried with the, the chickens. And it wasn't until the Roman Empire popularized the tradition in Europe that people in Europe started eating chickens. <laughs> it originally started off as a Roman punishment for the <laughs> Europeans for resisting them. Eat your pet. But they're like, this isn't bad. This isn't bad at all. He eats it and he goes, oh, it's funny. This this tastes like a bunch of other stuff that I could quote right now, but it'd all be a lot of other stuff that just tastes like this. I'm going to start saying stuff tastes like this now. <laughs> I'm going to go kill some more friends. I'll be back. <laughs> Oh man. Oh dude. Oh, do you have some like like some rosemary and some thyme and uh maybe a bit of garlic? Oh, I just I'm so sad. I could use those things right now though. <laughs> it's the only thing that'll console me. Oh dear. This is incredibly important. Very, very interesting. We still have a Southeast Asian domestication area. That's not at all a surprise. But this idea that we now think this coincides with the in the spread of dry rice farming and that the domestication of the chicken was basically an unintended consequence of dry rice farming. They think like we had these you know, dry rice farms come in around 3,500 years ago to Southeast Asia. All of a sudden, the jungle fowl that are up in the trees, they have a reason to come on down, peck around the ground a little bit, and they have close interactions with humans. We find them useful, uh, yada, yada, yada. It's a match made in heaven. But this means that they are basically just the the extras we got from domesticating rice and then and then getting dry rice farming along with it, and that they were much more recent than ever thought. And we already kind of knew this, but their entire 
introduction and origin and beginning of living with humans had nothing to do with them being eaten. If we were to talk to, uh, if we were to, you know, take one of those uh, uh, ancient humans who uh, venerated mm-hmm. the chicken, who uh, would not dare eat this chicken, and took them to one of the uh, murder factories on the Foster Farms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I don't think he would be have time to marvel at all the machinery that was around no. him when he just was watching so much efficient death happening in yeah, front of him. Yeah, but at least the death doesn't mean much because the lives of those animals are so horrible. Like, death is almost a sweet release when you are locked in a horrible cage in unsufferable conditions and horrible heat and packed in there with that. You don't, you've never known happiness, so death is actually the best part of your life. So you, we are seeing a kindness, yes. yeah. sir. Although it might look a, a, a machine precision kindness. A mass kindness. Now, now, if you don't mind, I'm going to go throw uh, several uh, wheelbarrows full of uh, male babies of this species into a grinder. Don't they throw out the males? Like, don't they throw out most males? I'm sure they probably do. And that would also uh, probably be the kindness that you could do to a giant group of Dungeons and Dragons players. All right. Thank you, audience, for coming back to Science Faction 615, where you learned all about how, how silent mutations can actually be deleterious and how we were wrong about the chickens. Thank you so much for joining us. And come on back next week for Science Faction. 616. In solidarity with all of the hate of marginalized people in this episode, I will be abstaining from a joke at the end. D&D forever. Awful neutral. You've been listening to Science Fiction. Wait, that's not right. <laughs>